Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCreary, and on today's episode, I'm going to start by talking about USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Earlier this week, I released a breakdown of his game, his skill set, what he does well, what he doesn't do quite so well, and the 2024 NFL Draft is just a few months away, so I want to start my draft coverage by talking about one of the best prospects in this year's draft. After that, I want to talk about the Golden State Warriors, who are on a hot streak right now, and they've been playing really well recently. I want to talk about what they do really well, uh, specifically on offense, and what their ceiling is this season. And then to close out today's episode, I want to talk about Spurs rookie sensation Victor Wembanyama. He is having an incredible rookie season, and I want to discuss just how good he is at the moment, and just how good he can become down the road. And that's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, let's get this show on the road. First off, I want to apologize for not releasing an episode last week. I've been really busy. Uh, first off, preparing for the NFL draft. I've been collecting stats for all the prospect, doing a lot of work for that. So that's why I didn't get an episode out last week. It feels like it's been a while since I've recorded the podcast, but it's been only one week, only seven days. But I'm glad to be back. Let's go ahead and get started by talking about Caleb Williams. So like I said in the intro, Earlier this week, I released a breakdown of Caleb Williams. I, I went through some, some numbers for him. I went through some film, looked at a few plays from his freshman season at Oklahoma and, and a few plays from his uh, sophomore and junior seasons at USC. And I want to I just talk about his game on the podcast a little bit and talk about a few things that I didn't talk about in my video. Um, I want to talk about what he does well, what he doesn't do quite so well, um, and a few reasons why I am really high um, about him or really high on him as a prospect. So first off, let's talk about what Caleb Williams does well. Um, the first thing that everyone notes when they talk about Caleb Williams is his ability to play outside of structure and his arm talent overall. Caleb Williams' arm talent is spectacular. It, it's it's pretty incredible. I think his arm strength just, and when I talk about arm strength, I mean a quarterback's ability to throw the ball with velocity. I think his arm strength isn't quite elite. It isn't up there with like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Um, his arm strength isn't quite elite, but I think his arm talent, his ability to throw the ball on the move, throw the ball from different arm slots, it's really good. It's incredible. Um, and in my opinion, he probably has the best arm talent in this entire draft. Um, his ability to make throws off-platform, out of structure, on the move, from different arm angles, is really, really impressive. And, and he, he's a great playmaker. He's really good at scrambling outside the pocket uh, and, and creating plays when plays break down. I think that's very clear on film. And that is something that everyone knows about Caleb Williams. And it's a big reason why people think he is such a good prospect. I also love what he provides as a runner. I highlighted that in my video. I think his rushing ability is really good. Uh, when, when opposing defenses play perfect coverage, he's able to get outside the pocket and, and create yards as a ball carrier. I think this is one of the things that makes him pretty similar to Patrick Mahomes. Um, his ability to run, to, you know, generate first downs, generate yards on the ground is really impressive. And I think this is an, a, an avenue where he is going to be able to generate efficient offense, kind of similar to the way that Patrick Mahomes does um, as a rusher. I also love his ability to execute with instruction. A lot of people complain, or sorry, one of the biggest criticisms that people have about Caleb Williams is that he plays out of structure too often and they worry that he may not be able to play within structure at the next level. To be honest, I think this concern has a lot of validity. I think there are times where Caleb Williams does play outside of structure too much. However, I want to make it very clear. I think Caleb Williams is excellent within structure. When he is given the chance to play from within the pocket, he's really good. And I don't want people to think that he can't do that. He can. He just 
doesn't do it that often, or he didn't do that often in college. Um, and I think there are reasons for that. I think part of the reason why he didn't do that this past season has a lot to do with his supporting cast and his play calling, which I didn't think was that good. I thought Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury put a lot on his plate, required, required him to do a lot, and didn't give him a lot of layups. And I think those two reasons... Um, are, are, are like the biggest reasons why he was playing outside of structure so much, especially in 2023. Um, but I, I really like the way that he executes from within the pocket. I think when he is given the chance, he is able to go through his reads quickly on time and he's able to get the ball um, out on target. And especially when targeting the middle of the field, I think that's something that he does really well. Um, I saw a few plays where he handled blitz as well, where he was, where he displayed really good pocket movement um, and pocket nav- navigation, where he was able to, from within the pocket, evade pass rushers, um, extend plays without scrambling outside the pocket, and then making a, a nice throw. Um, so I think I think he's really good at executing. From within the mo- within the pocket, within structure, and I know that is a major concern for a lot of people. But in my opinion, I think Caleb is actually really good within structure, and I'm not worried about this part of this game whatsoever, honestly. Now, as much as I love Caleb Williams, he isn't perfect, and he does have some some big weaknesses. I think one of his biggest struggles right now, or one of his biggest weaknesses at this point, is that he tries to do too much sometimes. There are some plays where he where he turns down checkdowns, hunting a big play, and that gets him in trouble. And I think this is the biggest reason why his time to throw was so high in college. I think this is the biggest reason why um, his turnover-worthy play rate and his pressure to sack rate were so high um, in 2023 during his junior season. Um, and this this weakness was on full display during the Notre Dame game from this past season. And a lot of people. If you've watched Caleb Williams, you know what I'm talking about. That was not one of his best games. Honestly, I thought there, there was a lot to like about that game from Caleb, but there were some, some plays in that game where he just was trying to do too much, made some poor decisions, and it really hurt USC's offense. Um, and, and plays like that happen sometimes. It's not a consistent issue, in my opinion. Um, I didn't think it was a consistent issue when I watched this film, but he, this is a tendency that he has from time to time, um, and that's something that he will have to work on, but luckily I do think that this problem is coachable, and I'm not really worried about this being a long-term issue, but the fact that, that this did show up on tape sometimes, and the fact that it did show up in his production from this past season, that is something that if you are an NFL team, that's something you should look into and something that should pique your interest and concern you to some degree. Um, another issue with Caleb is that he holds the ball or he holds onto the ball for a long time. Um, I don't think this is because he can't read defenses. I know that that's what some people will assume when they see that his time to throw is when they see that his average time to throw is really high. Um, I think he just loves to scramble, loves to extend plays as much as possible. Um, and maybe saying that he loves to scramble is not the right phrase or the right way to frame it because he doesn't scramble that much. And we'll talk about that in a minute because um, I do want to look at his numbers and his production a little bit, Um, but he does love to hold the ball and extend plays as much as possible. He doesn't let plays die all that often, Um, and he's not holding onto the ball because he, he isn't seeing the defense, but because he knows he can extend plays. He can get outside of monkey. He, he, he can get outside of monkey pockets, uh, pockets that are collapsing, um, and he can handle it when pockets do get money. When he is facing pressure, and so he's willing to hold them all for a long time, um, and he doesn't have to scramble when doing that, and that's impressive. But sometimes he needs to learn to just let plays die. You know, throw the ball away, throw the ball on the ground, and just live. Um, Live to see another play. That's another issue I would like to see him work on moving forward. But when I talk about all these things that he struggles with now, they're not consistent issues. And I think that they are all coachable. And they will improve when he's playing alongside 
better teammates when he's, you know, being coached by better coaches in the NFL. And so I am not really worried about all of these things long term. Um, however, if these do become problems in the NFL, I will be a little bit concerned. But for now, um, I think these are issues that are cor that are easily correctable. Um if he goes to the right team with the right coaching staff. And so um, I'm not that worried about it, you know, long term. Now, um, some further context that I think is worth noting when you talk about Caleb Williams, he played at an elite level for three seasons, which is really impressive when you're talking about a prospect who was just 22 years old right now. Um, that's really impressive. In, in all of his three collegiate seasons, he had a PFF grade of 90 plus, which is great. I know a lot of people don't like PFF grades, and, and I get that, but when you look at prospects, PFF grades are actually a decent um, indicator of who is playing at a high level, and when a player it has, uh, when their PFF grades are this good consistently year in and year out, that is a good sign, um, and so that's good to see, and I think that he was, I think that the fact that he was producing at such a high level, despite having a, sub, a subpar supporting cast this past season, um, and despite not having great play calling this past season, is really, really impressive. And I mentioned this earlier. I think that is all really good. Now, let's go ahead and look at some numbers, because there, there, there are some things that I want to talk about with Caleb Williams that, you know, make me fall in love with him even more. And I want to talk about how he navigates pressure and how he, how he navigates clean pockets because when you look at the data behind this it tells you a lot about quarterbacks and I want to give a huge shout out to a user on Twitter by the name um, Stark Kyle Orton he's been talking about quarterbacks a lot recently and specifically quarterback prospects um, and he's been you know posting stats in regards to how quarterbacks produce um, when they're under pressure when they're facing clean pockets and he's specifically been talking about how often quarterbacks throw the ball under pressure and when the pocket is clean and how often they scramble. And when you look at the historical data in, in, this, in, in terms of these metrics, how often quarterbacks are throwing the ball, you know, attempting a pass, and how often they're scrambling when pockets are clean, when the pockets are muddy, and when they, and when they face pressure, you'll see that quarterbacks who don't throw the ball and who scramble a lot, don't work out in the NFL. Um, and that's not a 100% guarantee. This is just, in general, quarterbacks who tend to, you know, not throw the ball and scramble a lot when the pocket is clean and when they are facing pressure, those quarterbacks tend to struggle in the NFL. Some quarterbacks that fit this mold have gone on to succeed in the NFL. That This is guys like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, but... For, for every Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen you see, you also see guys who went on to not be, success, who went on to not be successful in the NFL. Um, and so I want to talk about what, what does Caleb Williams' production look like in these areas. Let's start out with clean pockets. So, Caleb Williams, and let's actually look at the raw data. So let's see the numbers here. Let's go to clean pockets. Um, let's see. All right, here we go. So let's look at how Caleb Williams performs when the pocket is clean. So when the pocket is clean, let me find Caleb Williams real quick. Let me see. Let me scroll up. All right. I found him. I thought I found him. Let's see. Where is he at? Do I have to like search for his name? Nope. I found him. So when the pocket is clean, and, and these are numbers for uh, Caleb Williams' entire collegiate career. The reason I use this is because all of these prospects have played hundreds to thousands of career snaps. And I don't want to just look at one season because that is cherry-picking. And I want to look at how these prospects fare across their entire college career because um, this adjusts for you know prospects who had a late breakout because generally prospects who perform well right off the bat um, are better off generally. It's not always the case, but just generally speaking. And that's why I use the career numbers rather than numbers from prospects final season. I want more data. I want all of the data that I can possibly find. And I, I don't want to, you know, just cherry pick when players played well, um, and, and their final season, because, you know, 
these prospects are, they're not all the same age, they're not all at the same point in their development, um, and I don't want to cherry pick. I want to look at all the data that I can possibly find. So, in, in Caleb Williams' college career, he faced, um, he had a clean pocket around 65, 66% of the time, and he threw the ball 96% of the time, which, um, which is good. That's above average. That's good to see. You like that. You don't want to see quarterbacks throw the ball too often. You also don't want to see them, you know, run too often. You want to be in the middle there uh, because if you're throwing the ball too too much, you're not scrambling enough. Um, and if you're scrambling too much, you're, you're not throwing enough. And so you want to be kind of in the middle there. And Caleb Williams is, so you like to see that. Um, and he scrambles with clean pockets just 3% of the time which is really good. Um, and for how often he plays outside of structure, you would think that this number would be higher. But what this is showing me is that when when he isn't facing pressure, he is going to stay within the pocket. And he wants to play within the pocket. And he's going to throw the ball more than he runs. And that is great to see. That is a really nice profile here when you look at how he performs with a clean pocket, and, and, and the number, the other numbers are really good. His accuracy rate with a clean pocket is 80.5%, which is really good, and his PFF grade with a clean pocket is 92.1. And once again, these numbers are across, or for his entire college career. Those numbers with clean pockets is really good, and I like the way that he plays um, when the pocket is clean. Now we can look at how he performs when the pocket is not clean and when he faces pressure. So let's look at that. And let me go ahead and find him. So let's scroll here. So um, when he is facing pressure, which is 34% of the time, um, which is pretty high, um, he attempts to pass 68.7% of the time. That is a little bit below average. It's not bad. It's not terrible. Um, but he definitely likes to scramble a little bit more when the pocket is um, not clean, when he does face pressure. Um, and when he faces pressure, he scrambles 12.4% of the time. And that's actually not bad. That's not bad. That is not bad at all. And let me go ahead and see what that percentile ranking is for that right there. Um, let's see. So that scramble rate when the pocket is, um, when he faces pressure, is 46 percentile. Um, and, and like I said earlier, you want to be kind of in the middle there. So that's good to see. I know that sounds low. That sounds like it's below average. But that's close to the middle there. And that's what you like to see. You don't want to see a quarterback prospect scramble too much when they're facing pressure. You want to see them stand tall within the pocket and throw the ball when they're facing pressure. But you don't want to see them throw the ball too much. You want to see them scramble a little bit. You want to see that they, that they can run, that they do have some level of mobility, but you don't want to see them you know, drop their eyes as soon as they see pressure and scramble all the time. You want to see a balance there. And we see that with Caleb Williams. And that's really good to see. Um, and his numbers under pressure are, they're not amazing, uh, but they're fine. Um, and let me go back to see his raw numbers here in this area. Um, so, um, let's go back and find him. Let's see. Where is he at? Where is he at? Let me find, let me find you. I had him. I had him. And then I lost him. Let's see. Can I find him again? All right. I found him. Um, his career PFF grade under pressure was 47, or sorry, was uh, 58.6, which is a little low. Um, that's lower than you'd like. And his accuracy rate um, under pressure was 62%, which is a bit low. Um, you would like to see that be better, uh, but it, it's not terrible. It's just not great. He is not the best quarterback under pressure. Um, and so you would like to see that improve, but these numbers are actually decent when you adjust for the fact that he was pressured on 34% of his dropbacks. For guys who are pressured that often, these numbers are actually decent. Um, and so for, for the volume of pressure and dropbacks he was facing in college, he actually was quite productive. Um, but I would not say that he was elite under pressure in college. He was in 2022. Was it in 2023? And we, when you look at his career as a whole, he was just solid under pressure, but not amazing. And I think when you when you look at at these numbers, when you get the context 
Um, and when you see the context of how he handles pressure and how, how often he's throwing the ball when he faces pressure and how often he's scrambling with clean pockets, you'll see that he likes to play from within the pocket. He doesn't like to scramble when, when he doesn't have to. He does want to play from within structure. Um, and I think that's great. We don't, you don't see that with every prospect. Um, that's something that Jaden Daniels struggles with a bit. Um, and I think, um, I think this goes against what most people think about Caleb Williams. They watch his highlights, they watch him play, and they're like, man, this guy's playing outside the structure all the time. He doesn't want to play from within the pocket. He can't play from, the, from within the pocket, and I'm worried about it. And in my opinion, I think the data shows that the opposite is true. Caleb Williams wants to play from within the pocket, and he can, and he does, and he does it at a high level. And the data actually shows that he doesn't scramble all that often. I think, I think his scramble rate in college uh, for all, all dropbacks was like 6.6%, which is not, not low and not super high. It's like in the middle, which is what you want to see. And I think that's great. And he does play outside of structure. He does scramble sometimes, but he's really selective with it. And I think that that shows that he that he really understands how to play as a pocket passer. Um, and he, he knows how to choose his spots. And I think that's great. And that's a big reason why I love him so much. And, and it's a big reason why he is probably going to be my QB1 this year. Caleb Williams is awesome. He's really good. Does a lot of things at a high level. Um, and I said this in my video I think he is on par with some of the better quarterback prospects we've seen in recent memory, on par with guys like Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Kyler Murray. He's that good. He, he isn't perfect. He does have things he needs to work on, but overall, I think he's really good. And after watching the tape and looking at the numbers, I've become, I've become really comfortable with him as a prospect, and I like him a lot. He's awesome. All right. Now that, we're, now that I'm done talking about Caleb Williams, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, uh, I'm going to talk about the Golden State Warriors, how, how they've been performing recently, why I like what they do on offense, and what their ceiling is for the entire season moving forward. But I'm going to take a break, and I will be right back in just a second. All right, I am back. Now we can talk about the Golden State Warriors, who have been playing really well recently. And I want to discuss why, they, why they've been playing well, um, why I like their offense a lot, what I don't like about their defense, and what their ceiling is moving forward, and whether or not they can make a deep playoff run. So the other day, I wrote about this. Um, I wrote an article about the Golden State Warriors. Um, and um, you can see it on SirCharlesInCharge.com. Wrote about the Warriors, their recent hot streak, um, I talked a lot about their offense, um, a few things they do really well on that end of the floor, um, some things I don't like about their defense, um, and overall, spoiler alert, why I'm a bit pessimistic about the Warriors. So let's talk about them. Um, first off, they've been awesome in the last couple of games. They've won like 12 of their last 17 games, um, and their advanced metrics are really good because I think they are... Um, at one point recently, they were like 11th, 10th um, in Basketball References SRS metric. Uh, and SRS stands for Simple Rating System. And basically, this stat is opponent-adjusted average scoring margin. So it takes every team's average margin of victory and adjusts it for the opponents they are facing. So by this metric, the Warriors are an above-average team and at some points in the season have been a top-10 team. Um, and, um, right now they are like 30 and 27, I believe. I don't have their updated record right in front of me. The, the, these numbers are from like a day ago and I'm recording this on Wednesday. Um, and so uh, some of these numbers are like a day outdated, but at one point they were like 29 and 27. They just beat the Wizards. And so I think they are 30 and 27. Um, and they are the 10th seed in the Western Conference, I believe, maybe the ninth seed. Um, so they are in like the, the play-in right now. That's what, what kind of position they are in. Um, when you look at the Western Conference standings, um, and they've been on a hot streak. They're on a, uh, they, they've won a lot of their last like 17 games. Um, one thing to note about this team is their offense is really good. They're like ninth in offensive rating at the moment. Um, so their offense is really good, well above average. 
The biggest reason why their offense is so good is because of Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry has been awesome this year, specifically as a scorer. Um, he's averaging around 28 points and 5 assists per game on 63.1% true shooting, while shooting around 41% from 3 on a ridiculous 11 attempts per game, which is unbelievable. His productivity as a scorer is insane. Um, he's really good as an isolation uh, scorer. Um, I, I, I talked about this in my article. He's averaging about 1.15 points per possession in isolation, which is well above the league average. He doesn't operate in isolation all that often, um, but he's really good when he does. And when you watch him play, like he's coming off of screens a lot. Um, he, he can he can create his own shot off the dribble at a high level still, despite the fact that he's 34 years old. Um, and so he is like the engine of the Warriors offense, um, despite being 34 years old, which is awesome to see. I do think that, that Curry has taken a step back in terms of his passing, um, his playmaking, um, and his defense. His assist rate is is like 24.4%, which is the lowest it's been since 2018. And his defensive metrics are low across the board. Um, and so I think he has taken a step back as a passer and defender, but he is still really, really good as a scorer and a shooter. And I think the fact that he isn't as productive as a passer and defender is why his plus-minus metrics or the lowest they've been in a long time. So I think I think Curry's great. He's leading a really good offense, but he's not quite the MVP level player that we're used to seeing. Um, and I don't think that he's going to be able to carry the Warriors' offense in the playoffs um, when they need him to. Um, or I don't think he will be able to carry them quite like he's been able to in the past. Um, he's just he, he's an older player. He's just not quite as good as he was before. And so if the Warriors are wanting Curry to carry them in the playoffs, I'm not quite sure he's at, at the stage in his career where he can actually do that. And so that is something that I'm a little bit concerned about. And we'll, and we'll, get, we'll get into the Warriors offense right now. Um, I want to talk about what the Warriors do well as a team offensively. Um, first off, they're a great three-point shooting team. They are averaging just under 43 pointers a game, and that's three point attempts per game. And they hit threes at a 37.9% clip. And they rank 10 in both of these categories. Sorry, they rank top 10 in both of these categories. So they are one of the better three point shooting teams in the entire league. That's awesome to see. You love to see that. They are also a really good passing team. And this makes a lot of sense when you watch them play and when you, and when you see how their offense actually operates. And I, I actually plan on making a video breaking down their offense um, within the next few days. So I'll talk about that in that video. And I'll, I'll take a look at a few plays that highlights how their offense operates. Um, and we'll get into this in, in just a second. Um, but yeah, the Warriors are a really good passing team. They have an assist rate of 28.8% and a turnover rate of 14.4%. That turnover rate is a bit high, but... That assist rate is top five in the entire league. That's really good. So um, they generate a ton of assists. And, and this is understandable because their offense relies a lot on sets that require their players to read the floor well and make good passes. Um, and I want to take a look at a few, a few play types where the Warriors excel. Um, and, and when I talk about play types, I talk about, you know, uh, these are stats, and these are things you can look at on NBA.com. You can look at how teams uh, produce within different play types, pick and roll, isolation. Um, so let's look at a few play types where the Warriors are really, really efficient. First off, isolation. So in isolation, they average 1.04 points per possession. That is 86th percentile. Um, the reason why they're so effective in these play types is because of Stephen Curry um, and how good he is at creating shots off the dribble. He's still really good in isolation, and I think I think this is why the team is so good in isolation. They're also really good on handoffs, averaging 1.06 points per possession, which is 97th percentile. They are really, really good at running handoffs. They are also really good at running screens on play on, on sets 
where they are running off screens, they are averaging 1.10 points per possession, which is 86th percentile. So, um, not only are they good in isolation and on handoffs, they're really good on plays where they are where they have players running off screens. Um, and this makes a lot of sense when you watch them play. Um, they don't run a lot of one-on-one. They don't operate that way. They have a, a, when you watch them play, there are a lot of plays where they have guys running off cuts, running off pin downs, running off back screens. Um, they utilize a lot of handoffs and off-ball screens. Um, and they actually lead the entire league in terms of the frequency in which they run in which they run plays off screens with a mark of 9.7%. And no other team reaches even just 8%. So they are running off-ball screens a lot. It's a huge part of their offense, and they are really good at it. They're really just very creative offensively. Uh, they don't have many great ball handlers, so um, they don't force their players to operate in isolation a lot. Um, they use a lot of pick-and-rolls, pin-down screens, back screens, and they do this to generate open dunks, layups, and three-pointers, and they're really good at it. It's why their offense is so efficient and has been so efficient this year. Unfortunately, the Warriors have a lot of weaknesses on offense that could hurt them in the playoffs. For starters, they don't have a lot of players who can create their own shot off the dribble. Stephen Curry can do it, Chris Paul can do it to some degree, but other than that, no one else can really do it on this team. Um, and this could be a challenge for them in the postseason if they face a team that plays good off-ball defense and forces them into more isolation sets than they are comfortable running. Also, they are just average in terms of efficiency on pick and rolls, which is unfortunate because this set is really efficient. It, this, this is a great way to, um, to generate efficient offense, and they just are not great at running these sets. Um, if the Warriors want to make it far in the playoffs, I think they need Chris Paul and Brandon Podzimski to step up as creators off the dribble. And they need Clay Thompson to be a really good offensive player, and they need to they need him to be a consistent um, shooter off the catch. Now, lastly, um, talking about the Warriors, I want to talk about their defense, and I think they have some major major issues on this end of the floor. So right now, the Warriors rank around 18th in the NBA in defensive rating. This number is a bit low. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a little bit below average. Um, and there are some major, major issues with their defense. For starters, the Warriors are extremely weak in terms of protecting the rim. They allow opponents to shoot 71.9% from 0 to 3 feet, which is the fifth worst mark in the entire league. They also have the third worst block rate in the entire league, with a mark of 4.1%. This is a big problem because rim protection is extremely valuable. And if you can't protect the rim, I'm not sure how far you can make it in the playoffs without being really, really good in other specific areas. Um, and so I think this is, this is going to make it difficult for the Warriors to have a high ceiling in the, in the playoffs if they can't protect the basket. On top of this, the Warriors' defense looks extremely underwhelming when you analyze how they fare against different play types. So here is how efficient their defense versus a few specific sets. Starting off with isolation. In isolation, they give up 0.94 points per possession, which is 55th percentile. Not good. Um, you need to be better than this in, is in isolation in the playoffs because there are times where teams are going to have to rely on isolation scoring. And if the, if the Warriors can't stop this, that, that that spells trouble for them in the playoffs. They're also really average against the pick and roll. So um, against pick and roll ball handlers, um, they give up 0.91 points per possession, which is 52nd percentile. And against pick and roll rollmen, they give up 1.14 points per possession, which is 45th percentile. So against pick and rolls, they are just average to a little bit below average which is not great because they're going to go up against teams that run a lot of pick and rolls in the playoffs and they may struggle a bit and that is not good because pick and rolls are efficient and if they can't stop them, I'm not sure how far they can go in the playoffs and 
Yeah, this is all really concerning, especially if they have to face a team like the Clippers in a playoff series. And I'm talking like the Warriors are going to make the play-in and are possibly going to be in the playoffs. Um, so if they if they were to face a team like the Clippers in the first round, they would be in trouble because the Clippers are great in isolation and they are great in pick and rolls. And so I think if the Warriors were to face a team like the Clippers in the postseason, they would get eliminated pretty quickly. Um, so these different issues with their defense is a big reason why I'm so concerned. Overall, I like the Warriors. I love watching their offense play. They are very creative offensively, um, and I like I like their off-ball movement. I like how they utilize off-ball screens, how they utilize handoffs, and I love watching Stephen Curry play. He's awesome. He's great. And, and, and the way that he is able to dominate games, despite being 34 years old, is a lot of fun to watch. I also like watching Clay Thompson play. I know he is in the twilight of his career, but when he is on, he is on. And he is still a really good shooter, um, and so I like seeing him operate without the basketball in his hands. However, I am concerned um, with the Warriors' offense a little bit. They aren't great in pick and roll. Um, and they don't have a lot of guys who can create off the dribble, which is a bit concerning. Um, and so I think they're going to have to rely on Stephen Curry a lot and a bit too much. And that's a concern. Um, but I, I'm even more concerned and more worried about their defense. Draymond Green has been an awesome defender this year. But as a team, the Warriors just haven't. Their rim protection hasn't been great. They, they've just been pretty average defending isolations and pick and rolls. And this just screams red flags everywhere. Um, and I think that the areas in which they struggle on defense and on offense makes it less likely that they are going to have success in the playoffs. And so although the Warriors have been hot recently and have been winning a lot of games recently, I'm a, I'm a little bit pessimistic about how far they can go this season and whether or not they can actually make a deep playoff run. If you ask me, I don't think they can make it deep in the playoffs, and I think they are more more likely going to be an early exit, and that's assuming they make the playoffs in the first place. Well, those are my thoughts about the Golden State Warriors. Um, and before we close this podcast out, I want to talk about Victor Wimanyama a little bit. Uh, before I do that, though, I'm going to take a break, so I'm going to do that real quick, and I will be right back in just a second. All right, let's close out today's episode by talking about Spurs rookie phenom Victor Wembanyama. Victor Wembanyama was one of the most hyped prospects we've ever seen uh, coming into the 2023 NBA draft, and his rookie season has been spectacular. He's been amazing, and I want to talk about how good he is at this very moment and how good he can be in the future. And this is going to be very, very heavily based on stats. So. If you hate numbers, this is going to be a scary segment for you, but um, I want to look at his numbers, and specifically speaking from a from a production standpoint, I want to look at how good his rookie season has been, um, where he stands among NBA players at this moment, um, and, and just how high his ceiling actually is. So let's go ahead and look and see how he's been producing this season. So I'm looking at his numbers right now, so... Um, in terms of his per game numbers, he's averaging around 21 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists per game. Also averaging 1 steal and 3 blocks, um, which is crazy. He's shooting 46.6% from the field, 31.7% um, from 3, 53.2% um, from on 2-pointers, um, and then he's shooting 81.6% from the free throw line. I also uh, should point out, he's averaging 5-3-point five three, five three attempts per game, which is really good, um, and he's shooting 4.8 free throws per game. Um, those numbers are really good. Like, and just if you just looked at his per-game numbers, that's very impressive. He's 20 years old right now, and to produce at this level at 20 years old is really impressive. I do want to look at some advanced numbers here. Um, his true shooting percentage is 56.3%, which is a little bit below league average, um, but he shoots from outside the paint a lot. The average distance of his shot attempts is 12.9 feet, so he's shooting from the perimeter a lot. Um, and most of his shot attempts 
actually um, come from three-point range specifically. When you when, and that's when you split split up the court from zero to three feet, three to ten feet, ten to sixteen feet, sixteen feet to the three-point line, and then all threes. A lot of his uh, three-point uh, three sorry, a lot of his field goal attempts come from behind the arc. Um, so the fact that he's doing that he's this efficient um, at his size and his age. It's really, really impressive. Like, this shot diet should not lead to this efficiency. He should be less efficient than that. Uh, that's just crazy. I know I'm having a moment here. Like, that's kind of hard to believe that he's that his efficiency isn't worse. I would expect him to struggle a lot more to be an efficient scorer at the moment. So, that's really cool to see. Um, he is, he isn't the best offensive rebounder. His offensive rebound rate is 8%, which is a bit low for a guy his size, but... I, I would say that um, the reason why his offensive rebound rate is a bit low is because he plays on the perimeter a lot more than a 7-4 guy usually would. Um, and so I would venture to say that that's probably why his offensive rebound rate is a bit low. His defensive rebound rate is not low. It's 30.8%, which is incredible. And his total rebound rate is 19.2%. So he's a very good rebounder. Specifically, um, as a defensive rebound rate, that's or as a defensive rebounder, that's where he really shines as a rebounder. Now, let's get into his defensive metrics. And actually, before I do that, I do want to point out um, his. his I, w- I want to finish off looking at his offensive numbers. Um, his usage rate is thirty one point nine percent, which is like ridiculous for a guy who's twenty years old. That's nuts. Um, and he's been really productive as a passer. His assist rate is 19.1%, um, and his turnover rate is 15.9%. That turnover rate is a little bit high, but not terrible. And that assist rate is incredible for a big man, and that's really good for a big man who is 20 years old. Like, the passing upside here is really, really high. So you love to see that. Now we can, now we can get into the defensive numbers. His steal rate is 2.2%, which is really good for a big and his block rate is 9.8%, which is freaking nuts. Like that, that, hold up. We got to get a sound effect here. Hold up. Look, we got we to gotta throw this up here. Let's see. Let's go. A block rate of 9.8%. That is crazy. And that was really loud. I am so sorry for everyone listening. I am so sorry. That was so loud. Oh, my bad. Let's try it again. There we go. That was more reasonable, but um, I'm sorry for anyone who just died listening to this podcast. I apologize. That block rate is really impressive. Really, really good. You love to see that. Um, I also want to look at the way he's been producing over the last uh, two months specifically. He's been really productive in in January and February. In January, he averaged like 24 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists per game. Um, in February, he's averaged 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists per game. Um, in January, he had a true shooting percentage of 60.5%. In February, he had a true shooting percentage of 57.9%, which are both um, way higher than his efficiency was in the first like three months of the season, which is great to see. Um, I wanted to look at his defensive numbers, um, in terms of, like, on-off. Um, when he is on the court, the Spurs' defensive rating is 115.2, which means they are allowing 115.2 points per 100 possessions. When he's off the court, and that number falls dramatically to 122.5. Um, so, the Spurs' defense is 7.3 points better when Wimby is on the floor versus when he is off the floor, which is great to see. And, like, def- uh, advanced defensive metrics uh, make it very clear that he is a terrific defender already. And that leads to something I wanted to look at, and that is, like, these catch-all metrics. What do these catch-all plus minus type metrics say about Victor Wembanyama and his performance this season. So we're going to look at a few different plus minus metrics. We're going to look at box plus minus from basketball reference. We're going to look at estimated plus minus from dunksandthrees.com. We're going to look at LeBron from bballindex.com. And we're going to look at DPM 
um, from Darko. Um, and so we're going to take a look at four, four individual plus minus metrics to see what they say about Victor Wimbanyama um, and where he stands in the league today. So, uh, according to BPM, um, Victor Wimbanyama is worth 3.7 points per 100 possessions, and his BPM ranks 27th this season, which is great. That's awesome. You love to see it. The fact that he is already a top 30 player by this metric at age 20 is great to see. Um, uh, according to EPM, he is worth 3.8 points per 100 possessions. And I think um, in their metric, he he is 26th in the entire league. And then by LeBron, he is worth 2.43 points per 100 possessions. Um, and I think by their metric, he is 29th in the entire NBA. Um, I will say um, BPM, bucks plus minus, and estimated plus minus, I believe that these metrics are descriptive and what I mean by that is they are describing how well he has played so far this season. LeBron is a little bit more prescriptive. It's a little bit more um it's kind of telling us um it's not telling us how good he will be in the future, but there's more of that baked into this metric than there is for EPM and BPM. This is a little bit more of a forward-facing metric. It adjusts for shooting luck. It adjusts for other luck factors. And so it kind of adjusts for that and kind of tells us, okay, based on how it's produced, um, you know, up to this point, here's how well we would expect um, adjusting for, for luck, how, how we would expect for him to produce moving forward. Um, and so it's a little bit more um, forward-facing and more prescriptive than the other metrics we've looked at so far. And by all of these metrics, Wimby is a top 30 player already. Um, and of course, these metrics, you're, you're supposed to read them, you know, how these players are producing or how impactful they are within their roles on their teams. And so th that's uh, something that I have to note. Um, but yeah, the fact that he's already top 30 in all these different impact metrics is incredible. That's unreal. That is not normal for a 20 year old rookie. Um, now let's close out by looking at DPM, Darko. And Darko is very different than these other metrics. Darko or DPM, um, this looks at, uh, it's a plus minus metric, but the way that it works is it looks at every game every player has ever, ever played. Um, and it uses that data to project moving forward. Um, and it looks at game logs. It, it weights the more recent games more. But it looks at every game these players have ever played. Um, and it, it, in my opinion, it's one of the better plus minus metrics out there. Um, because it isn't just telling you how these players are performing this, this season. It, it's kind of projecting moving forward. And I think that's really impressive. Um, you can look it up um, and, and, and read about this metric. I would actually recommend you do that because it's a very, very impressive metric. So um, right now, according to this stat, Victor Wembanyama is worth about 4.1 points per 100 possessions. And in DPM, he ranks 11th, which is incredible. Um, once again, not normal, and, and you can say that a lot about Wimmy. He is not a normal player. He is freaking phenomenal, and, and the fact that he is already 11th in the entire league in a metric like DPM is pretty incredible. It's hard to believe. Um, he is around guys like, um, he is just behind Luka Doncic and James Harden, and he is just ahead of Anthony Edwards and LeBron James, and uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, which is just it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, I'm having a hard time doing that myself. So we can see right here, looking at these metrics, and these metrics are not perfect. I'm just using this to kind of gauge how well Wimby has been playing this year. He's already like a top 30 player. He's already playing at a all-star, borderline all-star level. Um, by DPM, he is going to be really, really good um, pretty soon, um, sooner rather than later. I think he's been awesome this year. 
both offensively and defensively. I know the efficiency hasn't been that great, and I know you would want um, him to cut down on turnovers a little bit, but overall, his profile is amazing. He's a great lob threat. Um, I think he has some serious shooting upside with how many threes he attempts per game and how good his shooting touch is based on his free throw percentage. There's some passing upside. The defense is already amazing. I mean, if you look at a, a stat like like LeBron, um, his D-LeBron, which is the defensive version of the stat, he's already third in the league in this metric. Like, his defense is so good. He's going to be a game-changing defender. Like, he already, he kind of already is. Um, and I think his, his upside on offense is amazing. In my opinion, he's probably going to end up being the best player in the world someday. I think that's where we're headed. Um, right now, he's, you know, playing at, at like an all-star, borderline all-star level, but it would not shock me if within the next two years, he is already in the best player in the world conversation. That may sound hyperbolic, but like, dude, he's 20 years old and already producing at this level in all these different areas. And these impact metrics are all telling us he's awesome and he's only going to get better. He's freaking crazy good. Um, at some point, I want to talk about the Rookie of the Year race and kind of compare his case to Chet Holmgren's case. Um, but for now, um, just talking about Victor Wembanyama, and yeah, he's a special player. He's playing at a very high level already, which is not normal for a rookie, um, especially for a rookie that is only 20 years old. The production here is really impressive. Um, and I, I can't wait to see where he goes from here. I think the ceiling is really high. And I think he has the potential to be a historically good player one day. So those are my thoughts about Victor Wembanyama, the season he is having, um, and, and what his ceiling is moving forward. And that's pretty much it for today's episode of the podcast. At some point, me and my friend Thomas are going to get together and talk about the NFL draft and kind of do an kind of do a preview episode for the 2024 NFL draft. And that should be coming soon. But yeah, that's all I have for today's episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I know I did. And I will see y'all next time. Peace.